all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Nursing and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we are talking about back to school because believe it or not, summer is slipping away from us and school is just a little over a month away. And we want to help you and your family get off to a healthy start. I've got two guests with me today, Drs. Lisa Haney and Molly Moore, who are school-based nurse practitioners. And we want to talk with you about your questions today about how to get off to a healthy start for your school year. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. Iraqi forces are working to drive the Islamic State group out of a small section of Mosul. Iraq's army has mostly cleared ISIS out of the city. The country's prime minister visited troops there yesterday to congratulate them on their progress. NPR's Jana Raff is also in Mosul and says the city, after months of heavy fighting, has been destroyed. It's absolutely devastated. And now, we've all seen city blocked and war zones that have been destroyed, neighborhoods that have been destroyed. But this is really such a stark example of an entire side of an entire city that has been devastated. We drove past streets where there wasn't a single building standing. NPR's Jane Araf reporting from Mosul, Iraq. President Trump's eldest son has confirmed a meeting between top Trump campaign officials and a Russian attorney. NPR's Tamara Keith reports. According to a statement from Donald Trump Jr., the meeting in June of 2016 was arranged by an acquaintance he had from when the Trump Organization put on the Miss Universe pageant in Russia. Trump Jr. says he didn't know who he was meeting with in advance, just that the person might have information helpful to the campaign. Then campaign chairman Paul Manafort and President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, also attended. Trump Jr. says the Kremlin-linked Russian lawyer they met with claimed to have damaging information about Hillary Clinton and the DNC but that she didn't have meaningful information and just wanted to lobby them on U.S.-Russia policy. A spokesman for President Trump's outside legal team says the candidate was not aware of and did not attend the meeting. Tamara Keith, NPR News. Thousands of rail commuters across New York and New Jersey are bracing for major delays as repair work begins on rail lines into New York City's Penn Station. NPR's Joel Rose reports a partial shutdown takes effect today and continues through September 1st. Penn Station barely works on a good day. Roughly 600,000 commuters squeeze through narrow corridors and stairways every weekday, and their commuting struggle is about to get worse. After a series of derailments in the spring, major track repairs are scheduled for the next two months. That means a 20% reduction in the number of trains from New Jersey and Long Island. Amtrak is also reducing train service between New York and Washington. 
The crumbling tracks and signals at Penn Station are just one piece of New York's aging transportation infrastructure. The rail tunnels that connect the city to New Jersey are more than 100 years old and were badly damaged by Hurricane Sandy. And the New York City subway system is under a state of emergency order. Joel Rose, NPR News, New York. Stocks are trading higher at this hour on Wall Street. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 19 points at 21,433. The Nasdaq Composite up 18 points. The S&P up four. This is NPR News. Wildfires burning in western Canada are getting worse. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, more than 7,000 people have been forced to evacuate, and that number is likely to rise. More than 200 fires, many of them out of control, continue to burn in central British Columbia. Officials say the numbers of people fleeing the fires will likely increase. Persistent hot, dry weather over the past couple of weeks, coupled with lightning strikes, have sparked even more fires. Some communities have lost dozens of homes, with residents barely having enough time to gather a few belongings and flee as the rapidly moving fires closed in. Firefighters are coming from other provinces to help, and the federal government is sending water bombers. The British Columbia government has already pledged $100 million towards reconstruction. A senior climatologist says there's no end in sight to the dry, hot weather conditions. For NPR News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. Democratic lawmakers in New York are proposing legislation that would allow undocumented workers who assisted in the aftermath of 9-11 to pursue citizenship. Congressman Gerald Nadler says those who risk their lives deserve a chance to become American citizens. We called them what they were heroes. But I can tell you one thing we never did when they came to work on the pile. We never asked their immigration status. We were just grateful for their presence and for their help. The legislation comes after a 9-11 cleanup volunteer was released from immigration detention last month. He received a pardon from Governor Andrew Cuomo from a 1990 drug conviction. I'm Windsor Johnston, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include C3IoT, providing a software platform that brings machine learning, big data, and cloud computing to industrial-scale predictive analytics and IoT solutions. Learn more at C3IoT.com. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show fit at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we are talking all about back to school today. I cannot believe that the summer is just about over and school is a little over a month away for a lot of folks. And we want to help our kiddos get off to a healthy start and help our moms and dads not pull their hair out when this school year starts back over. So I've got two experts here with me today, Dr. Lisa Haney and Dr. Molly Moore, who are both faculty at the UMMC School of Nursing. 
nursing and are also school-based nurse practitioners. And that's a little something different than a lot of folks are used to growing up. Um, Some folks had a school nurse. Um, Some folks didn't have a school nurse, but very, very few folks have the opportunity to have a nurse practitioner there on site in the schools. So thank you both for joining me today and uh, giving us your knowledge and expertise today. Uh, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves and tell our listeners a little bit about what you do. So we'll start with you, Dr. Hainan. Okay. I'm Lisa Haney, and I have some school-based clinics in the Mississippi Delta, in Anguilla, and in Rolling Fork, in Myersville, Mississippi. And we are in the South Delta School District, and we are looking forward to the school year beginning and can't believe that it is less than a month away. I know. So quick. And uh, Dr. Moore, you're here in Jackson with us. Tell us about that. Yes, that is correct. Thank you, Josie. I currently practice at an elementary school um, in the Hines County area in the Jackson Public School System, and we serve approximately 485 children, grades pre-K through 5th. And I, too, am ready to get back in the swing of things and get school geared up again. Well, interestingly enough, I put out a little call on Facebook this morning to ask folks what they thought about back to school and whether they love it and are ready for their kids to go back or whether they dread it and are just, you know, sad about the day arriving. And predictably, there it was split because it's usually what you hear. Folks either are super ready or they are dreading it. And if you guys listening have an opinion either way about that, I'd love to hear from you today. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. But what I found interesting looking at the folks that responded today is the split seemed to be related to the age of their children. So my kids are nine and six, and I am dreading the start back of school. And that is largely due to getting everybody out the door on time is a struggle. And then the homework. Oh, the homework. It it wears me down. Um, I have a rising fourth grader, and third grade just about put me down. So I'm not quite sure what fourth grade has in store for me, but I do know that I am not ready. So I know, Lisa, you've got teenagers. I do. And Molly, you've got kind of elementary and middle school Correct. age kids. So what are y'all's thoughts on dreading it or loving it? I'm ready for mine to go back. <laughs> and that is, I remember the days when mine were younger and worried about homework and stuff, but I have the luxury of them being old enough to do their homework and stuff. My thing is getting back in a routine, getting teenagers up in the morning and getting them at Sioux school on time. Mine drive, one of my, my, I have one in college, and so she's very independent. And then my um, junior, I have a son, and him, my worry is getting him up in the morning on time and him getting himself to school. (laughs) (laughs) And then my youngest takes the bus, and that's another whole issue is getting her back in a routine. So we usually spend, I guess, about the week before school starts, Everybody kind of, we want everybody to get to bed on time and get up earlier in the morning than they have been. They've had the luxury of sleeping in in the mornings. All right. What about you, Molly? Are you ready or not? Well, I have a nine-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son, both of whom are going into third grade. And kind of a departure, I think, from your poll, Josie, I am one of those elementary moms who is ready for the routine (laughs) to return in my life. While it's a bit of a struggle to get back there, um, I'm ready to begin establishing my academic school year routine for, for my children as well as myself. If you could come over to my house and get me and my kids in a routine, I would appreciate that because it is like a tornado blowing through my house 
house all the time. So how do we help folks get back on a routine? You mentioned kind of starting early. So don't wait until the the Sunday night before exactly. to try and get everybody in a routine. We have made that mistake before. And um, lately, or the last few years, I have discovered that trying to get them in a routine about, about the week before is a good idea. Getting them on a going to bed routine and getting up in the morning earlier than they're used to. Because, you know, with teenagers, they like to sleep. And so getting them up on a regular routine does help get smooth things over. It still is a transition those first few days, but um, things kind of level out after a while. How about you, Miss Molly? Any any tips well, for I helping me get organized with my life? <laughs> obviously, the sleep routine is very important. We all know that sleep is important for all aspects of life in terms of functioning, especially learning. The other thing I would add, too, is to go ahead and the week before, um, as you're adding in your sleep routine, go ahead and add back in your normal nutritional or dietary routine. We all kind of get off track during the summer. At least I know I do. Um, so beginning to... Um, reintroduce those, you know, formal sit-down meals and an established breakfast in the morning is also very helpful starting the week before. It is. And, you know, so plan ahead for that. You know, plan, sit out and make a meal plan. You know, we, we're real good in the in the school year about having meal plans, but summer it's kind of you eat what you find and everybody's kind of eating at a different time. Lots of kids are out at sporting events and that kind of stuff. So meals may be on the go, but it's important to kind of get back in that routine, sit down and make a meal plan for that coming week and start your kids off with the best, uh, best plan for that first week. And if you guys have questions about how to get your kids sleeping better, how to get your kids eating better, we would love to talk with you or any questions you have related to school health and being back to school ready. We want to talk with you and give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. So breakfast. You know, breakfast is one of those meals that people either love some breakfast or they say, I just don't eat it and I don't want to eat it. Why is breakfast so important, not only for our school kids, but for moms and dads and, and everybody? What, what's the deal with breakfast? Breakfast gets you energy and gives you get your day started. And I fight that with uh, my younger teenager. My son loves to eat breakfast. That's his biggest meal of the day. But my youngest daughter is not a big breakfast eater, so we battle that. I look at, see what they want as their favorites, and then we work on are they nutrition and are they right. going to last and hold them for till lunchtime at school. So right. that's real important is to look at the nutritional value and introduce fruits and try new things right we're usually having breakfast on the go you know breakfast usually occurs in the back seat i know it's not the the best option but sometimes that's what happens so think about things that are portable so fruit makes a great portable meal it's kind of wrapped in its own little container and you can eat it pretty quickly on the go and you're getting lots of um vitamins and minerals some carbohydrate that's going to get that brain kicked up and start start revving that engine and it's got some fiber in it so it's going to keep you full for a little bit longer um and you know so you don't get that crash mid-morning now protein's also something that we want to add in with folks now where i see people go wrong at breakfast is protein overload you got to think about what you're building your plate with and with protein a lot of our breakfast foods are very protein heavy. You know, you've got your yogurts, you've got your eggs, you've got your meats, your sausage, your bacon, you know, whatever you're doing. And all those fall into that protein category. So I try and t- 
tell my kids it's like you have this many seats on the bus and you're trying to fill up each seat with something different. And if you've already got something in the protein seat, pick something else. We don't need eggs and bacon and, you know, sausage all at one meal. Kind of spread it out there. Um, So yogurt makes another great portable meal, a piece of fruit and some yogurt. You're good to go. You've got your protein and your carbohydrate there. Now, piggybacking on that, you mentioned sleep and how important sleep is. And I know that's something that's so hard for a lot of folks to get enough of. How much sleep are our kiddos supposed to be getting? Our teenagers from ages around 13 to 18 should get 8 to 10 hours of sleep a night. And, of course, as the age is younger, the hours of sleep are more. Right. And when you think about that, you know, you got to think about when, what time are they getting up to get, you know, get on the bus or to get in the car. I know we have to leave our house by 7.15. If we leave our house at 717, we are going to be late. It's just something with the traffic. But so we've got to get up They about 630 in order for them to get up, get dressed and have time to get something to eat. So that means I got to have them in the bed by, you know, 830 at the latest. And that can be a real struggle for, you know, everybody, but working parents as well, especially when both of them work outside the home. So we don't get home till six o'clock some nights. So. You know, there are recommendations, and then you got to do the best that you can. There was a little thing circulating on Facebook not long ago that had a chart of, you know, if your child gets up at this time, this is the time they're supposed to be in the bed. And all that chart left me feeling like was a terrible mother. I was like, I don't even have time to feed them or bathe them if I have to have them in bed at this time. So you've got to make it work for your family and how how that will all work in knowing that we want them to get as much sleep as possible now i don't know about your kids but my kids are you have to drag them out of the bed in the morning like a swamp monster they are stuck in there and you got to pull them out but on the weekends those little suckers are up at six fifteen, right beside your bed I don't know what that flip of that is, but they have got it going on. And I don't know how to get it flipped back, but that's just my struggle, I guess. So what are some other things we can do to get them back in the routine? We talked about sleep. We talked about nutrition. What about a health checkup? That's a great thing, um, especially this time of the year. This is, You've got time. Most A lot of people have time in the summertime, and this is a good time to get their wellness checkups. And most insurances and Medicaid cover that well checkup once a year. Once a year. And um, this is a good time to get vision and hearing checked as well as other things, height, weights, BMIs, blood pressure. And things a lot of times can be found during this time and intervened before school starts. That's right. And so, you know, we're usually really good as parents when our kids are tiny. You know, when they're two months, four months, six months, we show up to all of those well-child appointments. But once they hit about six, and that's usually about the time where immunizations kind of start to taper off, they get the bulk of those immunizations earlier than that, we're not as great about taking them to their wellness appointments. But it's so important. You mentioned vision. And uh, Molly, I know you see a lot of the elementary school kids who just can't see. They don't see well. And, you know, if kids don't see well, what are some of the things they come into the clinic complaining of when they can't see well? Again, my the patients I take care of are primarily pre-K through fifth grade, and they don't know how to tell you that they can't see the board right. because they don't know that they can't see the board at the front of the room. So many times they'll come in complaining of a headache or if they're uncomfortable because they feel their classmates are performing at a higher level than they are, they will complain of a stomach ache. Um, sometimes the teacher will actually notice, notice that there's a problem, maybe academically or maybe the, the child is not 
uh, behaving as they typically do. So it's not always a complaint of, I can't see well. It's typically something else. And we begin then to investigate, could this be related to vision and a problem in the classroom as far as seeing? Right. And most kids are not, I mean, you're right, they're not going to tell you, I can't see. And a lot of parents that I've talked to have said, well, certainly they'll tell me if they're having trouble seeing and they just they don't know they don't perceive it that way so you're right headaches are a big one stomach aches and then sometimes kids will get labeled as inattentive Mm -hmm. or disruptive in the classroom and they can't see what's going on on the board and so they you know they are bored because because they they don't know what's going on so those are all things that kind of clue us in that those need to be done and you know hearing and vision screens you know if your kids can't see they can't learn. So you've got to get them in and get those, that vision check. And that can be done at the regular pediatrician's office, the regular you know, family medicine nurse practitioner. We can do all of those things. Now, uh, for Medicaid, that's part of our regular screening that we do. All of those kids get vision and hearing at, at every annual visit. But some of the other um, standard visits often don't do that with the, with your annual visit, but you can certainly ask. You can ask your pediatrician to go ahead and do a vision screen, and they will be more than happy to do that. And usually if your kid flags out at 2040 or more, then we go ahead and get them uh, referred to an eye doctor, get them fitted with some super cool spectacles so that they can see and learn and, and grow and do well. And we would love to talk with you guys today about how to get your kids healthy and ready for the upcoming school year. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. A city's fight for a higher minimum wage faces pushback from the state. $7.60 an hour, that's less than $16,000 a year for somebody working full-time. In St. Louis, Missouri, a bump to $10 doesn't last. Low-wage workers say they're paying the price. It's next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI, Public Radio International. Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org. Welcome back 
to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, here with my guest, Dr. Lisa Haney and Dr. Molly Moore. They are school-based nurse practitioners, and we are talking today about how to get your kids ready for back to school because it is almost here. We've got about about four and a half weeks until we go back to school and I am not ready. And so if there are listeners out there who are not ready and feel like they need some help today, we are taking your calls. You can give us a call at one 672 7464 or if you just don't want to talk, you can send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org and we'll be happy to answer that for you. Now, before we went on the break, we were talking about the things to do to get ready. We were talking about making sure we get enough sleep. We were talking about making sure we get good nutrition on board and have a meal plan for the week, good old checkups, make sure we are healthy and ready to go, and making sure we can see and hear. And those are all really important things to get done ahead of time. And the other thing that we work with our kids on is how to keep from getting sick. Because when you throw all those kiddos back together, they are super excited to see each other. Everybody hugs and loves and kisses all over each other. And then they come home and they're sick. So germs are rampant this time of year. You're entering you know, cold and flu season. And then what we see in the school-based clinics, the strep problem and also lice and so so those are some of the things we're going to tackle here in a minute but you know what is the best way to prevent an infection prevent getting sick hand washing that is the number one way and we don't really do it right that is correct and that is one of the things we seem to do that a lot in our school-based clinics going over that even to our particularly practice in a high school clinic so we are still teaching high schoolers. Yeah, you kind of think they've got that by then, but they, but they don't. don't. I know, Molly, y'all do a lot of hand-washing education in the elementary schools. What are some tips on teaching these little ones how to wash their hands the right way? We do, and we especially tend to focus on the kindergartners. We feel like they're at an age where they can comprehend what we're trying to teach them, hopefully retain it, um, but also young enough to begin to establish early good hand-washing habits, and that includes doing it the right way. The way we like to teach it is to teach the kids they need to wash their hands for a certain amount of time, and if they will sing the happy birthday song through twice at a reasonable rate, that's generally long enough to provide effective hand-washing and germ removal. However, they've also got to remember they've got to scrub in between those fingers, provide some friction along with the warm water and the soap. Uh, and then when they get ready to turn off the water faucet, they need to do it with a paper towel in hand and not reintroduce their hand to the germs that may be on the faucet. Right. So I know. I look like a weirdo in the restaurants when I wash my hands. You can always tell a nurse is in the bathroom with you when Absolutely. we're washing our hands because we're, you know, we're getting lots of good suds. And, you know, what? the way I think of it is I just picture all the germs getting trapped in those suds and then washing them down the drain. And so you warm water soaps up better. You get a better lather that way. You got some soap on your hands and you mentioned getting in between the fingers good friction get under your fingernails all that kind of good stuff rinse all that soap off dry and then make sure you use that paper towel to cut the faucet off because you got to think your hands were dirty when you cut the faucet on so if you don't use that paper towel you're going to get some germs back on that and people may think that's overkill but really in the height of cold and flu season you know the flu germs can live a while off the skin and so you really want to not spread that as much as you can Uh, you mentioned the happy birthday song singing it two times and little kids love that you know because they get to celebrate their fake birthday when they're washing their hands they sing it to themselves every single time they're precious when they do that now what about hand sanitizers are those a good idea bad idea a cop-out what's the deal with those 
I think they're a good idea, especially in classrooms may not have a water faucet in there. Uh, as well as I always sent, have always sent it with my kids to school in their backpacks. A little hand they, sanitizer they pack? A little hand sanitizer pack. And we have emphasized the importance of using that hand sanitizer pack. pack. Right. There is no substitute for good hand washing, but if that's all you've got access to, absolutely go ahead and use one of those um, germ-based hand sanitizers. Now, for our little tiny kiddos, they make some that are special for little kids because their skin is thinner. These are alcohol-based sanitizers, and so you don't want them to kind of get overloaded on that alcohol-based product. So you can use some of those with the little kids. But you know, I agree. I have them backpacks, and I like the uh, little towelette ones because, again, I like to picture me just, you know, scrubbing those germs off and killing them. I am a little bit of a, a germaphobe when it comes to that. The other thing I am a big proponent of is cough etiquette. So uh, most folks cough just into their hands, right? That is correct. Cough and sneeze into their hands, and then what happens to those germs that they've just coughed on their hand? If they touch someone else, you have whatever they have had. Right. So, you know, we've, I've always heard uh, teaching, you know, cover your mouth when you cough and sneeze, but it really depends on what you're covering it with. So we sing a song at our house. You know, I teach all the nursing students this as well. There are several videos floating out on YouTube of my nursing students singing this, but we rap our little song and we sing coughing to your elbow. That is where the germs go. And that's what my kids, like if I walk up to them and I say coughing to your, they will sing the rest of that song. And it's really good practice for everyone to put those germs more in your elbow. I mean, they're still on you, but they're not on your touching surface where you're going to touch doorknobs and faucets and, you know, other people. Uh, I am not a fun person to shop with because when I see people just coughing just out in the open, I cannot school my face. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I got to go to another store because I just see invisible cough germs floating all around in the air. So, you know, that's cold and flu. What about strep? Tell us about strep, Molly, because I know you have been dealing with the strep monster lately in the school-based clinics. Well, and I also keep that in mind when I'm teaching hand washing because we tend to see strep so much. And it used to be a seasonal thing, but it's gradually become um, a bacteria that we see um, create infection in these children almost year-round. So one thing that we try to tell them is that by teaching at hand washing, we're also helping hopefully to prevent some of the strep um, these kids are together all day long in school. They're in a community environment, and that's where it's readily spread. So we're just trying everything we can to help them learn good hand washing, good nutrition, good sleep habits, and all these things will help hopefully decrease um, the amount of strep that we see in our school this academic school year. And we've got some open lines. If you want to talk with us today, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Now, strep, we're talking strep throat. And so what are some symptoms of strep throat? Because we usually think fever and sore throat. But that's more the adult onset with strep throat. Little kids often don't come in saying that they're throat hurts or have this rip-roaring fever. What do they come in with? Correct. It can be a very different presentation. In fact, the three typical things that um, I see in children, at least at the clinic where I practice, is headache, stomach ache, and they may or may not complain of a sore throat. Um, so you really have to begin investigating when there's a complaint, an initial complaint of either a headache, a stomach ache, both, and uh, maybe my throat hurts just a little bit. Very rarely do they have a significant elevation in temperature. 
And often when we look in there, their throats don't look as bad as that classic picture that we all see of these you know, pus pockets on your tonsils and all this. It may just be a little bit red, tonsils a little bit swollen. Um, but sure enough, when we test them, it comes back positive. Uh, one of the other things that I see a lot is nausea and vomiting. They will walk in the door and say, I don't feel good and throw up on the floor. And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's check it. Let's check some strep because that is often one of the presenting symptoms. So and then parents feel bad because they haven't taken their kid in and they've been sick for a couple of days, but they're just complaining of really vague things like a tummy ache or a headache, just not feeling good. So, you know, the school year coming up. Your kids come home complaining of those things. We go straight and get get checked out to make sure it's not something that we can treat very easily, which strep can be treated very easily. What's the treatment for strep? If the child is not allergic to penicillin, then we use the gold standard of amoxicillin in our clinics. Frequently, emergency rooms and urgent care clinics will use a bacillin injection, but we don't have availability for that where I practice. So amoxicillin. Well, nobody does because it's on national back order, so nobody has any bacillin right now. Uh, and I'm sure the kids are not uh, not upset about not getting no, a shot. they're not disappointed at all. So they can take the, the pills by mouth. And then if there are penicillin allergic, then there's some other things we can do. Um, Zithromax works pretty good for that, clindamycin and those kinds of things that we can use. But the most important thing is taking all of the antibiotic. What happens when we don't take all of our antibiotic? We see a lot of children actually come back into our clinic who still have strep throat. After about three to five days and they forget to take it or they spilled it and forgot to let us know they don't have any more. And so we end up with recurrent strep. And they feel better, so they stop taking it, and that is not a good idea. We need to emphasize that they take it the full course. Full course all the time because, you know, when you get... When you get strep throat, you got to go home from school. You know, you got it. You can't stay because you're contagious, spreading all that loveliness around. And, you know, we talked about when kids can't see, they can't learn. But when kids aren't in school, they can't learn as well. So that's really why you guys are out in the schools that you are, is to keep kids healthy and keep them in school where they can learn and grow to their fullest potential. So every time, you know, you kind of stop antibiotics early and the strep comes back, they got to go home again. And that's another day out of school. So make sure you're taking all those antibiotics completely every time. Now, what I hear folks tell me is the reason they stop is because it makes their tummy hurt more it gives them diarrhea. So let's talk about diarrhea and antibiotics because it does not really mean you have, you're having a reaction or you're, you're allergic to it. That's an expected side effect for a lot of these antibiotics, but there are some things that we can do to help with that. What do you recommend, Molly, for helping folks with uh, their own antibiotics kind of keep from getting that tummy upset? Well, first of all, we like to do a lot of education, both for the patient as well as for the parent or the guardian, so they'll know what to expect, so they realize this is not an allergy or an adverse reaction, but an expected side effect. And with most antibiotics, it's perfectly okay to go ahead and take them with food, and that will help prevent a lot of the stomach upset and the GI upset in general. Lisa, do you have anything to add to that? I like to recommend yogurt. Yeah. That's a good um, a good. It helps a whole lot and works good. And I make sure it's a, a yogurt with live culture Correct. in it. So that's going to be in the refrigerated section. Correct. Not, you know, a lot of your baby yogurts and toddler yogurts that are shelf stable may or may not have really active cultures going on in those. But that refrigerated yogurt is great. And then several brands are out there of powdered probiotics that you can get and sprinkle on the top of your kids pudding or whatever it is that they're eating and that will help with that because the reason the antibiotics give us diarrhea is because it just it kills off 
All the bacteria. All the stuff. The good stuff and, and the, the bad, bad stuff. stuff. So, yay, we're killing off the bad stuff, but when the good stuff goes away, then we get... We've got to rebuild. We've got to rebuild it. So we might as well give it good building blocks with some of those healthy probiotics there. And we would love to talk with you guys about how any tips and tricks you have for preventing colds and flus and, and the germs that go around the school year. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. make a difference in your community by simply donating a vehicle. It's a quick and easy way to take care of that unwanted vehicle that is just sitting around. Best of all, we'll handle the entire process from picking up the vehicle to sending you the tax paperwork. Just call 877-MPB-4CAR or go online to mpbonline.org slash support. Make the difference and donate your vehicle today. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, here with my two school health experts, Dr. Lisa Haney and Dr. Molly Moore. And we're talking all about how to get back to school ready. And we do have some open lines. If you've got a burning question, do not wait until the end of the show. Go ahead and call us now at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 And before we went on the break, we were talking about how to prevent illness and germs and good hand washing. Um, But there's always one thing that creeps up that I do want to talk about, and everybody in the booth will probably start itching when I talk about it in a minute. We want to talk about lice, because you cannot talk about little kids and going to school unless you talk about lice, because it happens to everybody. So there are some myths about lice. Uh, Dr. Haney, what are some of those myths about lice? Well, some of the myths are that those little lice can hop and fly and hop from one head to the other. That is not true. They attach to the hair follicle. They do not have wings. So they love they love the head. They love right. hair. Also, um, 
uh, they also we, there's a myth out there that it's poor hygiene that yeah. that causes lice, Correct. and that is just not true, right, Molly? You can have anybody can get lice. Absolutely. If you've got some hair, you can get lice. Now that brings me to another kind of myth that if you shave your head. It will get rid of the lice. Now, I have seen a couple folks do it, and they will swear by it, but I find it very, very hard to be able to get a close enough shave on a kid's head to keep lice because, you know, they attach right down at right where the hair follicle exits the scalp, and so you would have to have a pretty severe buzz cut going on to get your hair cut down that that sharply. Um, but so if it's if they don't jump, if they don't fly, if it's not from poor hygiene, how you get them? It's transmitted by uh, people share hats, headbands, hairbrushes, things like that. Um, if they have spend the night parties, I know kids have spend the night parties. Linens, lice love linens, and do not, um, you know, the only way to get rid of them is by washing those linens in hot, mm-hmm. hot water. Stuffed animals, sports toys, helmets, sports helmets. We see that in our football uh, locker rooms, big time, and um, so it's transmitted. It's transmitted very easily, unfortunately. Right. And you know, one thing that a lot of people don't think about, but is relatively new, um, are selfies. Selfies are one of the huge ways that lice are now transmitted. So think twice. I did not even think about that. That's a good. Get close to somebody else enough to have heads touching. Because everybody uh, says, let's take a selfie, and you get right to. Together and yes. squish your heads together. Right. And that is one of the nice. chief modes of transmission, especially wow. especially in the teenagers now. That is an excellent mm-hmm. tip. So, you know, just, just take those selfies yourself and crop everybody else in later and keep the spread of lice down. Now, lice, what's the symptom of lice? Because it's usually not, you usually don't see them. You know, they Initially. don't just announce and say, here I am. That's right. And what, how do you know they're there? Severe head itching. Um, And then sometimes we've also seen when we really get close and investigate um, the heads, a lot of irritation. They can be um, critters that cause severe scalp kind of dandruff-like symptoms. And um, But the kids that we see and adults we've seen is severe itching. And it is not friendly till you get rid of it. Yeah. And that itching, it may even take a couple of weeks to show Correct. to show up because really what's causing the itching is a response to the, the spit of the, the lice because, you know, as gross as it sounds, they get on your hair shaft, crawl down next to your scalp, bite you, mm-hmm. suck blood, give you some of their spit, and then lay, your, lay eggs right at the bottom of your hair shaft. And all that's going on. It's a whole little environment going on up there that you don't even realize. And if you've never been exposed to lice before, then your body's kind of not sensitized it's to it yet. inflammation process. Right. It's, it's got to kind of build up. But anytime your kid complains of an itchy scalp, It's time to take a look down in there. You know, one of my most embarrassing things as a mom, you know, we we don't go to the doctor a lot. You know, we usually are able to take care of most things at home. And my son had been complaining of his head itching, you know, and we had changed shampoos recently. So, you know, I was like, oh, he's just got, you know, he's just got a little contact dermatitis from that. You know, he'll be fine. And I was, you know, working a shift in the hospital and my husband called. He was like, he's just not getting better. You know, he's just itching. I said, we'll just go on and take him to the doctor and see, you know, if he needs some, you know, steroids or something to calm down the inflammation. And <laughs> I'm very good friends with a pediatrician. And she called me and she said, girl, did you not see those things <laughs> in his hair? And so I was embarrassed that I had missed that. But you really do have to get 
down to the very base of the hair follicle and look down in there. And, you know, if your kid's got very thick hair, it can be a challenge. Especially girls with long, long hair. And what I recommend is that you take a pencil and with a pencil and take little strands and start at the base of the neck and behind the ears. That seems to be the area where they like to get started and then work your way upward. But um, best is to use that pencil or you can take little strands and know where you've gone and do layers. And then, you know, if they're there, you got it. And it's often you don't see the the adult lice. You don't see the actual moving lice to see those because they like it dark. And so they run and hide down at the, the bottom of the hair. But you will see a knit. What is a knit? It can come in a variety of colors. <laughs> it Yay. attaches to the shaft of the hair um, usually, and it's, it can be kind of a gold color, white. Sometimes it's mistaken as dandruff flakes until that dandruff you can't flick off with the brush. It's stuck on that um, stuck on the hair uh, shaft. Um, can be a, like I said, a variety of colors. Um, a lot of people describe it as an amber kind of, kind of color. color, and that's the nice. It, knit, knit or, right there. Eggs. So one way um, that we recommend kind of looking in the hair as well at, when you're at home is uh, kind of wet combing. What does wet combing mean, Dr. Moore? Well, you need to get the hair wet so that it shows up, so the knits show up more readily. Oftentimes you can also see um, the actual louse moving more in that type of situation when you've got dry, full hair. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult, particularly if the hair is the same color right. as the actual louse, um, to actually see uh, them moving around. All right. My youngest is a you know, blonde-haired little baby, and you you cannot see those uh, in there. And I would recommend you know they make some cheap knit combs that are plastic, and then they make the more expensive ones that are the metal. The metal ones are just far superior when you're trying to to do that. And you know. Wetting the hair is good. Also, adding a little bit of conditioner to the hair will help the comb kind of slide through. And, you know, you can buy products over the counter that we use to treat lice infections like um, NYX or, or RID. Those are the more common ones that you see. But just using that does not does not fix the problem all the time. That combing is really the key. the key problem with that because you'll find, you know, those those medicines, they have a, you know, a chemical in them that attack the neurosystem on those little bugs and kill them, but it, there are some that are just we're seeing some resistance Hardy little too. boogers. Exactly, and we're seeing some resistance. So it may take more than one treatment um, with that over-the-counter. And also, it's very, very important, I can't emphasize enough, that you use that comb to brush through the nits. Because if you don't get the nits, they may have sur- the they may survive the right. medication. And, and then in about a week or two, you have a new crop of fresh laps. So that's why it's also recommended that you do a repeat. Exaggerate on it. You know, you treat it one time, and then in about seven to nine days, you do another treat through with that. And I'm paranoid, so I do a comb through every day in that little time period because I'm just trying to thin the crowd in there. You know, the most dreaded note you ever get in school is there's been a case of lice in your child's classroom because all of you begin to itch your child begins to itch and you begin the, the combing party as we call it everybody sits down on a, on a towel in the bathroom and it's just a combing party that that happens there but you mentioned this resistance and i guess probably i don't know two or three months ago it was real big in the news that there were these um kind of 
genetic mutated lice, which just scary. Yeah, it makes you think of a horror movie where there are these big lice that are coming to get you. But you know, they they look the same, but they have genetic mutations in them that make them uh, resistant to those over the counter medications. Okay. So. Sometimes we have to get a little bit more creative, and there are some prescription ones out there. Um, now, that does not just mean more strength of the over-the-counter ones. Uh, those, If they're resistant to the low dose, they're going to be resistant to the high dose on that as well. It's a whole different kind of chemical pathway that we have to use for that. But um, one thing that I did learn recently is, you know, we were always told you have to clean your entire house. Like you've got to vacuum everything and do all that kind of stuff. And now they're saying it's probably not as big a deal Correct. with that, that you don't have to go just, you know. You stay in the environment, I would say the bed area, because that's where the head on the pillow and wash all those linens with very, very hot water. Also, there's kids that don't want to part with stuffed animals. And it's recommended that you might just want to throw those stuffed animals away. Right. But if it's something that you cannot, part, the child cannot part with, you uh, you put them in a, a tight garbage bag, tied up, and let them um, go for two weeks mm-hmm. somewhere away so that it smothers the smothers lice. Them, right. And um, But that's, you know, the, all the rest of the sprays and all that right. are not. They are make not, some fancy sprays right. to spray your house down with, but those are not, not necessary. Not so, you know, it can be scary. It can be um, a, just a pain in the butt is what it can be when you when you've got that and everybody's freaking out but it's you know it's just it's kind of part of life most folks wind up with it at some point in time Uh, it's just kind of one of those things you have to go through and we do have a call this morning all the way from Biloxi and Jackie but we'll go to that in just a second and we've got some open phone lines, so if you want to give us a call, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring or you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Jackie. Maybe. Um, we'll give Jackie just a couple seconds to get up on the air. But, you know, lice can also, not necessarily lice, but another kind of crawling, icky thing that can happen in the school-based uh, time is scabies. Correct. So scabies is, what is scabies? Scabies is another parasite or a mite that likes to bury itself in uh, folds of the skin, especially between the fingers, between the toes. And um, they usually exhibit with strong itching. The uh, patient will come in the clinic with strong itching symptoms. And if you kind of quiz the patient as when is their itching occurring the most, they'll tell you at nighttime. At nighttime, right. That's when they come out and um, do, do their work. But, yes, it's severe itching between the fingers, toes, and other areas of the body. That around the waist, I waist. see, as well, around the mm-hmm. belly button type area. Under the breast. It's right. The pendulous breast. And that it's another one of those cream things you got to put on. But instead of just on your hair, you got to... It's from neck down. Cream up that body. Yes. Between, emphasizing between this, all the folds of the skin. Under the fingernails. Under the fingernails. And you put it on. Um, usually, what I tell patients is to put it on the night before. It's prescription. Mm-hmm. And you put it on the night before and leave it on, go ahead and go to bed six to eight hours and wash it off with soap and water thoroughly the next morning. And that usually does the trick. But again, it's one of those things that I like to repeat in about a a few, several days after and repeat the dose. All right. I think we've got our phone fixed so we can go to Jackie and Biloxi. Good morning, Jackie. 
Yes, good morning. I just wanted to share an experience I had with the kids when they were little. Um, a friend of mine and I, we bought all the things that were over the counter, the chemicals, and they really didn't work. Right. And so the my friend who was a nurse at the time, she um, started using olive oil. And the thing, it, it actually worked for all, all of us moms at the time. So I wanted to, to share it. It's we just put olive oil, um, massage it into the child's hair and head and scalp. And then we put, and this is for three days straight, then we put a little plastic shower cap, you know, that you throw out. It's very inexpensive. And then I put, a, uh, for myself, I just put a little bandana over their head so that way it wouldn't, like, stain the, the pillowcase or anything. But every morning, though, you have to use that comb and right. the knit comb, and you have to take out each of those little eggs um and that's the, the thing that's the most important thing and then you wash it out and then you do it for three days straight um sometimes we had to just sit in front of the a, a movie put a movie on right. and that way the <laughs> would not move and you just have to take the knits out and pull them out but it really when i finally did that for three days straight all it, it just cleared everything so the chemicals really didn't work for us yeah and that's something that we're seeing more and more of. I've heard the olive oil. I've heard vinegar. Vinegar. I've heard mayonnaise. I've yeah. heard butter. All of those kinds of things. And really what it's doing is suffocating, uh-huh. suffocating um, the lice. And so, you know, it's a great tip for folks who are really wanting to stay away from any kind of chemical product. Maybe they're allergic to one of those chemicals. Or for a really, really young child, you know, infants um, can get those too. You know, so that can be a better kind of all-natural way to do it. Now, when you look at the research studies and stuff, there just haven't been enough of them out there to say, yeah, it works. But anecdotally, we know that it works for folks and it's, you know, much gentler on the skin than a lot of things. Have you seen any of those things, Miss Molly? I've heard of them. I don't have um, a huge problem with lice in the clinic where I practice, but there are always the home remedies that people talk about and I have heard that olive oil is successful. So thank you for sharing, Jackie. Yeah, thanks, Jackie. That was a great tip. Thank you. Have a great day. And, you know, she mentioned putting on a movie. You know, thank goodness Definitely. for iPads now because that's, you know, we can never agree on one movie to watch with both boys. So, you know, iPads are great little things to have and they can be watching their own little movie. But they do have to sit And when you've got still. a brush, long, yes. flowy hair yes. out with that comb, it's good to have them entertained for a yes. while. And we're going to go to Mobile and talk with Bonnie this morning. Hello, you're on the air with Southern Remedy. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. I actually just wanted to um, second Jackie. When I was a kid, my mom was an elementary school teacher, and I had three feet long, real fine blonde hair, and I always got lice. But uh, what we did was we used tea tree oil, so mm-hmm. it was pretty much mm-hmm. the same as the olive oil, yep. um, and did the same thing that Jackie said, basically. But we also did something preventative, so if there were lice going around, my mom would make us put all a bunch of oil in our conditioner. Um, so when every time we conditioned our hair, our hair would be oily because the lice don't like that oily hair. Right. That's a great point, too, Bonnie. Um, one of the things we recommend, too, is to keep the hair in a ponytail or a top mm-hmm. knot, you know, a bun, and spray it with hairspray. Because they and don't like to, to be able to and let the yeah. hair be dirty. Don't wash it every day. Yeah. Actually, yeah, they don't like they don't like that dirty hair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I've had some folks who say they put a couple of drops of that tea tree oil in their shampoo uh, when the school year comes around, and they just kind of use that in their shampoo every day to kind of prevent it. I don't know what's special about the tea tree oil, but as soon as you put it on, lice will just 
fall out wow. of your hair. It is immediate. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that with us today, Absolutely. Bonnie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Y'all have a good day. You too. All right. We, we are having a lice fest today. Let's go to Mikey and Mobile. And what do we got today, Mikey? Well, my question is regarding whether or not it's uh, the same lice that, you know, I mean, we love children. We ain't going to give up our children, and we're not going to give up our pets either. So um, is, is it, is there, are there leases? Is there more than one kind of lice? <laughs> if your puppy goes and plays with a child in the neighborhood that has unfortunately, you know, has, has had lice, um, now I, I put the, the medications on my pets. Um, supposedly cover that sort of a thing. So, like I said, is there more, are there leases instead of just lice? <laughs> well, there are multiple species of lice, um, but the one that favors humans is pretty species specific, meaning it targets just humans. So, right now, it's not thought that pets are kind of the the transmitter of that kind of lice. Um, it really is more of a human strain from that. Um, so, you know, the right animals now, can bring anyway. right right now. You know, research always changes things. And, you know, it's always ever evolving. But right now, you know, best evidence points to the fact that that's not the case. So, you know, I would still you know recommend brushing your dogs and and cats and removing that because there's other things that can cause problems. You know, in particular, you know, grass pollen, dander that comes in when they've been out and playing that can trigger some other types of allergies and things. But but not the lice so much you're so welcome mikey thanks for listening and we've been having a great day talking about back to school health and we're almost out of time so we'll kind of wrap things up with that but if you have questions that you didn't get a chance to ask us today you can always send those to fit at mpbonline.org and we'll be happy to reply to those and send you out some information one thing i did want to make sure that we covered is kind of stress and bullying that is a big problem that can go on with kids so make sure you're kind of looking for those cues with your kiddos about you know if they're struggling in school if they're saying they don't want to go to school kind of see what's going on with that and i know the other thing we want to talk about was backpacks because backpacks are getting heavier and heavier what's the deal with backpacks dr haney well, they have shown that you need, the books are getting heavier and heavier. And for instance, uh, my kids have black courses um, where they go A day and B day. So one of the recommendations I have is we have two backpacks and two sets of books, two sets of notebooks so that it's not overloaded and them, they're carrying A day books on B day. So that's one of the things. Also, you need to make sure they use both straps. Molly and I were talking about um, when we were in school, we, it wasn't cool. We right. thought you were weird if you yeah. wore two straps. So we hung everything <laughs> on one arm. And so I think that's probably why I have contributed to my back problems that I have now. So it's very important that you have two straps. You emphasize with your children to wear both straps and that it um, fits the bottom of the back and where the backpack um, lays. Dr. Moore, anything to add to that? Um, I would also like to add that making sure that your backpack straps are padded as well as that they're wide and padded so that it distributes the weight more evenly. The back of the backpack, if possible, should also be padded. And a good rule of thumb is to make sure that the the bottom of your child's backpack reaches about the level of the waistline so that it sits properly. 
And my tip is to make sure you put the heavier items closer to the body. Don't weight down those outside pockets with all your heavy stuff because that pulls you backwards and you change the way you're walking and that causes a lot of back pain and back issues as, as your child grows and ages. We've had a great day on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit talking about back to school safety and we'll be back next week with another topic and another guest. And if you want to uh, get in touch with us before then, always, always email us at fit at mpbonline.org. Thank you to my guests, Dr. Lisa Haney and Dr. Molly Moore for giving their time today. And you've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio.